1: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Ellman, and I'm a Five Board-accredited life coach, and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week, we are talking about one of my favorite topics, dating, and that's specifically dating. I've separated out questions I've got on romantic relationships and dating, but this is specifically dating or the phase before you become official. However you term that, dating each other, seeing each other or simply the talking phase. So I've been single for a while god when you say it like that it sounds like a negative but to me it isn't. For about three of those years I was consciously single on purpose, I wanted to be single, I wanted a break from a lot of toxic men I was dating and also got sick of them taking up all my time and energy and thought it was about time I deserved that time and energy and I wanted to give it to myself. I also wanted to sort my own life out, I wanted to get my career off the ground, settle down in London and also work through a lot of emotional issues that I knew was the reason I kept landing in these really unhealthy relationships to be honest I think for the majority of people it's a part of growing up I think we all end up in situations that we would not choose to be in as adults but when you're in that teenage or even just post-teenage phase because I was a late bloomer as they say um my first kiss was when I was 18 and I lost my virginity three days later you could read about that in my book am I kidding (laughs) God, I think I'm the only person in the world who's like, hey, check out the story of my virginity in my book. (laughs) Moving on. Anyway, after three years of being single, I felt I was ready to date. And since then, I've been dating and enjoying myself. And much like being single was a conscious choice. Dating has also been a conscious choice, especially last year. I was dating with no goal or focus of it resulting in a relationship. And I just wanted to enjoy that phase for what it is. And that actually created the healthiest relationship I have ever had with dating itself. I actually started to like dating And the last two years, I would go as far to say I love dating and had so much fun. I met some great guys and some of those lasted a few months. Some of the time I was dating more than one guy at a time. Some of the time it was just a series of first dates, but all parts of it I actually really enjoyed. I think most people think I'm lying when I say something like that, but I truly mean it. I think once you remove the goal of trying to get a relationship, you actually enjoy the process for what it actually is. Every part of it was fun and when I told people, they were gobsmacked at how I can have fun dating because they always saw it as a necessary means to an end which led to me talking more about it online until that point I had been relatively private about my dating life and to be honest still am I just don't give out details or pictures or what the guys I'm dating look like or even their names. But I have started sharing tidbits on what I call empowered dating or essentially dating without making you feel bad. And so that's the mindset from which I'm going to give all this advice in this episode. I believe dating can be fun and I also believe when you remove outcomes and goals not only can you enjoy the process more but you're actually more likely to get a relationship when it's the right time. Throughout this, it wasn't the fact I didn't want a relationship. I have never actively said that. What I have always said is I love my life and I will consider a relationship when that person adds to my life. And there have been guys who have added to my life and it could have lasted a few months and when they stop adding to my life, that's when I decide to end it. Overall though, the best part of empowered dating is that it's so nice to have these positive experiences, meeting these incredible guys and just because it doesn't work out doesn't mean they aren't incredible people because the majority of them were, if not all of them. And it's also really nice to know that I think every guy I've dated in the last two to three years would speak positively about me and me of them. None of them have ended badly or on bad terms and I think that's part of empowered dating is that I'm clear up front and it keeps it as simple as possible. Of course there are situations you can't control and not everyone's going to think positively about you when a relationship ends and that's okay. It's not necessary but it's an added bonus for sure. If I'm dating multiple people they know that. If I, I was dating multiple people but I stopped dating the others because I became more interested in them that happened a few times, then I told them. Clear, simple communication and fun. What's not to love? So let's get stuck into the first question.
3: Hi Michelle, I hope you're well. I'm a big fan of your Instagram and um, all the work that you do. Um, So I'm so glad that you now have a podcast. Um, And I'd like to know how can you like continue dating um, and not lose hope. Um, So since like last year I've been on over 20 first dates with people I've met online and most of them have been okay um some have been good some have been bad but they haven't really led anywhere and so part of me has started to lose hope that maybe I won't find someone in the future and I feel like every date that doesn't lead to anything sort of um works to like propel that belief further that I have um so during the, the, my dating experiences, I have taken like six months out to sort of work on myself, learn about my anxious attachment style and codependency and other stuff, and I was also in therapy. So I sort of thought that during that six-month break, I would have returned to online dating more confident and more able to deal with um, just the fact that not everyone will be for me and I'm not for everyone. Um, also, like, the general fear of not finding someone and being content alone or During the process. Thank you. Bye.
2: Thank you so much for this question. It is such a relatable one and one I know so many people feel. Okay, let's think about this realistically. In the context of life, 20 dates is not a lot. It might seem a lot to you, but it's really not a lot to make such a broad generalization from 20 people there are 8 billion people in the world and the likelihood is you won't be attracted to the majority of them so to take 20 dates and then generalize it to I am never going to find someone doesn't make sense what because you've been on 20 dates it wasn't even 20 bad dates some were good as you said You need to stop seeing dates as a failure or a waste of time if, as you put it, nothing comes from it. Because something does come from every single one of them even if the thing that comes from it is not a relationship. If you use each one as a way to learn something new that means every date will bring you closer to the right person because it will either teach you what you don't want or what you do want from the person you end up with. You'll be learning more than those who stay in a long-term unhappy relationship. Another thing is to start enjoying the dates for the time you actually spend on them. The fastest way to suck the fun out of dating is to focus on the goal. When you spend time with friends, there's no overt goal. If you hang out with a friend for a year and then you lose contact, you don't go around begrudging the fact that that friend didn't turn into your maid of honour or your best friend. Now look at dating in the same way. I think one of the deepest fears all humans hold is the fear of ending up alone and trust me it used to be my greatest fear and it's one that probably still exists in me somewhere but it's not something it's that's in my mind very often if at all because my goal stopped being I want to find someone and it became I want to find someone extraordinary and you know what The majority of people are looking for just the someone but it's going to take a lot longer to find the right someone or an extraordinary someone. And I'm willing to wait because I've dated someone just for the sake of having someone and it really isn't worth it. In fact, when I ended that relationship, it was my first relationship, all I could feel was relief and regret at how much time and energy I'd put into the relationship I knew was dead before it even started. I would tell people the day I got into a relationship with that guy, oh, give it six months, it's not going to last any longer than that. Simply because I just wanted to see what it was like to have someone. And yes, it was nice, but it's not worth it if it's not the right person or someone who isn't going to add value to my already incredible life. I know that six months to you is a long time, but it really isn't in terms of personal growth. This is a lifelong process and wanting to change instantly because of six months isn't realistic because you're healing lifelong patterns that took way longer than six months to form. What I did in my single period was I created a life that I fell in love with because in order to attract an extraordinary person not only did I have to be extraordinary but my life did too now I have a life that I am completely in love with and not only that I completely and truly understand why someone would want to be with me I could give you a hundred reasons why someone would want to be with me and I would believe it as well I wouldn't say it from my ego I would say it from my heart because I truly believe it and therefore, as a result, I don't question if I'm going to be single forever. Because one, I know I don't want to be. And two, I truly believe I'm a catch. How I did this was by literally writing a list of 100 reasons why I'm dateable. This was actually homework my own life coach, Michelle Zelly set me. And I moaned and groaned and said it took too long and was unrealistic. And then I sat down and did it. I got stumped at 50 and then sat there for three hours while I was trying to finish the last 50 But I finished that list and now I believe it wholeheartedly. Alternatively, you can write three reasons you are lovable every night until you believe it, but I love the fact that when you do 100, you really have to dig deep and search inside of you. Another thing I just wanna touch on is as much as knowing your attachment style is really great for understanding yourself and it can teach you a lot about yourself and your patterns, I wouldn't define myself that way because it means you're likely to repeat the patterns. Instead, thank your attachment style for what it's taught you and how you thought it was keeping you safe, and then open your mind to the possibility that you might be different now. I hope that helps, and I'm sending you lots of love.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
2: This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are talking love is blind. Every week I dissect dysfunctional conversations that I see on TV and we use it as an opportunity to improve our own understanding of human behaviour and also our communication. Love is Blind is one of those shows I binge watched in the middle of lockdown because simply everyone else was talking about it and I had nothing better to do. But it turns out I really enjoyed it. I really liked uh, psychoanalysing the behaviour and the interactions between the couples. For those who haven't watched it, these people date without being able to see each other. They continue to date, they select their match and once they are engaged they're allowed to see each other. They move in together and I think they have about a month to decide if they're going to go through the wedding so they're in the moving in stage at this point in the part I want to talk about it's a conversation that happens between one couple and they're talking about kids because she is 10 years older than him this is a huge issue to her but I wanted to pick up instead on one sentence she says in the middle of the conversation she says Mark is very emotionally available to me it's a bit of a red flag because no man is that emotionally available I've never seen it never experienced it everything I say he is up for. The reason I want to pick up on this is because in recent years especially, a lot of people have been using psychology language colloquially, but not actually understanding what it means. And so there's a lot of confusion. And this is a prime example of that. The term emotionally available, she equates to the fact that he is always up for everything she says. That doesn't indicate emotional availability. That actually indicates more codependency, not always, but more codependency than emotional availability. And because I watched the show, he is actually clearly codependent, likely due to the enmeshment with his mother. Enmeshment is a term to describe when two people have unclear relationship boundaries. They are the type of person who as an adult can't make a decision without their parents' approval and, and as a result often isn't very good at things like adulting Because the parent has a tendency to do everything for them. So first of all, he's not emotionally available. But she can't see this because of her own issues. Second of all, she then says being emotionally available is a red flag. This is not a red flag. This is again a misuse of a somewhat psychology term. What I think she means is that it makes her feel uneasy and uncomfortable. But that's not a red flag. A red flag is a warning sign of danger to come. You are not going to get into any danger by being with someone who is emotionally available but it could make you feel uneasy, uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar to her and this is likely to be the case because she said it. I've never seen it, I've never experienced it and so it's that classic case of I've never experienced it and therefore it can't exist and so she generalises it to all men and that all men can't be emotionally available. However, the generalisation actually happened long before this guy or any other guy she has dated entered into the picture. This started with her dad. Again I'm saying this because I've watched the whole show. What she is actually saying is my dad was not emotionally available and throughout the show it is clear she still has abandonment issues around her dad. So she's brought up that issue into all relationships with people that she has dated because she has not healed it. It's important to highlight though, that just because someone is familiar doesn't mean it's healthy. And just because someone is unfamiliar doesn't mean it's unhealthy. This is the false equivalency that she is making. When you have a history of abandonment, what's gonna happen is if you meet someone reliable, your brain starts screaming, don't trust this. It's too good to be true. The moment you trust this, they'll disappear. And therefore the person pulls away and what is actually going into play is a protection mechanism. This whole dance by these two people could be described as Mark being enmeshed with his mum and Jessica being abandoned by her dad. Because Mark is codependent, he ignores the red flags in order to see the good in Jessica and attaches even though everything in their relationship tells him that he shouldn't. And her abandonment issues means she tries to push every button and throw every single thing that could make him run early into the relationship as a test to see if he sticks around. This is one of the shows that I just could get into the dynamics and how people relate to each other for so long. And despite me thinking this was originally not going to be my cup of tea, I grew very obsessed with it. In fact, I actually have a whole story highlight on my Instagram if you want to take a look at that. Anyway, I could talk about this for ages, but instead let's move on to the second question. Hi, Michelle. This is a caring friend.
1: I'm contacting you because my good friend... Renee is dating using an app and she's having a lot of guys, uh, contact her that do not have vehicles. And she doesn't live in an area that it's really appropriate to not have a vehicle. You you really do need a vehicle. Um, so we were both remembering how on one of your Q and A's on Instagram, someone had asked about political views, if you should mention that in a profile and you had suggested not that that would come out very early on in a relationship and that if you do mention it in a profile, it's a bit like a pink elephant syndrome. So we were both wondering what would Michelle say about this situation with, you know, wanting a a guy to have a vehicle is this something that she should just go ahead and put on her profile, and if so how 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 would be a good way to word it and if not, you know that would be cool to know too, <laughs> so this is a caring friend signing off and hoping to hear your answer to this i
2: love this question. Now just as a heads up and a little bit of a disclaimer every life coach or personal development person whether that's a counsellor, psychologist, psychiatrist will answer these types of questions differently but I'm going to go from my experience of knowing how I would react if I saw needs a car on a profile. I would swipe no on someone who says needs a car on their profile not only because well I don't have a car, but also because it comes across as superficial, no matter how remotely you live. I completely understand the inconvenience if you live in a remote area, if the other person doesn't have a car. It's essentially the same thing as someone writing doesn't live at home or needs to have a job because frankly, it's inconvenient when someone lives at home because then you have to dodge their parents and your sex life revolves around when the parents are out of the house. And then when it comes to not having a job, the other person not having a job becomes inconvenient as well because I've dated a few unemployed people and you just end up not being able to do much because the other person doesn't have the funds to do that. And so it becomes a bit of a practicality issue, just like not having a car is. But when it comes to dating apps, it's not about the truth of it, but more so how it will be perceived. I think the majority of people who see that and read it will see your friend as superficial. Now, if she is superficial, then go for it. And that said, with 100% no judgment, in our society, we often label superficial or materialistic people as bad or negative. I don't believe that. I believe it's okay to be superficial if that's what you are. And if she is that person, then she needs to attract someone who's okay with that and therefore put out what you want to attract. If she's not superficial, however, and she doesn't want to come across that way, then don't put it there. The thing instead I want you to ask yourself is what does having a car mean? What does having a car tell you about a person? This will give you a bigger clue of what you can write on the profile. So for example, if you ask that question to me, my answer would be having a car means they have their life together. Then I think it's perfectly acceptable to write on a profile someone who has their life together, but also put it in a more playful way because I always think it's just better on a dating app to not come across so intense or serious even if that's what you're looking for so for example if you are really stuck on the car thing then you can put that in a playful way on most dating apps there are now prompts and so if you use a prompt like my biggest turn on is you could put something like when you've got one hand on the steering wheel and one hand on my leg and then put like a drool emoji (laughs) now you're all seeing how I flirt anyway or if you want to make it less forward or less sexual then use a prompt like my perfect date is and put you driving us to a secret location where you have a picnic set up or something like that both say you need to drive and have a car without being so forward both say you need to drive and have a car without it being so forward but because it's not as obvious, this does mean it won't rule out every single guy without a car, but it's less in your face than needs to have a car on the profile. And it's done in a less superficial way if that's not important. Also, just to explain the pink elephant thing that was mentioned, in case anyone missed it on my Instagram, the mind can't hold a negative. So if I told you to not think about a pink elephant, the first thing you think of is a pink elephant in order to not think of one and that is what is happening when you say something like no racist. Also the last thing I want to say is I fully stand by the fact that we should not be focusing on things we don't want so if your friend is saying things like I always attract guys without cars that's not helpful and it's probably not true. Find the one example of a guy who had a car to disprove your belief and drop the word always. Change it to I have not found a guy with a car yet that's more useful hope that helps and good luck on your dating adventures or good luck to your friend today's three quick tips whilst i was talking about it anyway is about dating app profiles specifically Number one, say what you do want, not what you don't want. Again, this following on from the pink elephant syndrome question. This is the main thing I see wrong on profiles when people have written things like no cheaters. Of course you don't want a cheater. No one wants a cheater. But if you put your focus on that, what you don't want, then that's what you'll attract. Whilst it might make sense in most normal situations to put the opposite, like loyalty, I must say when I see loyalty on a profile, it slightly puts me off as well because it really again is the bare minimum. Surely everyone who is monogamous is looking for loyalty. So when I say what you do want, I'm asking you to also aim higher. You don't want the bare minimum of loyalty. You want the excitement on someone's face when you walk in through the door. Now you don't have to write that exactly, but put the same energy behind it because writing no cheaters, writing loyalty, frankly, gives me a big red flag around your emotional baggage. Number two, include full body pictures. The whole point of a dating app is to show what you look like. Show what you actually look like. Put full body images, put photos of you currently and not from 10 years ago, and don't cover your face with filters and sunglasses in every picture. You can have one sunglasses picture, but if you're wearing sunglasses in every picture, I have to ask, what is the point? The point is, most people are insecure and aren't confident in the way they look. And that's okay because we all have insecurities, but if you actually show what you look like, then when you match with someone, you know they find you attractive, not the filter that you put on. Doing it the other way actually sets yourself up for more rejection. In fact, my profile has at least two makeup-free pictures because I believe my profile should match my everyday me. Yes, I have loads of pictures of me in professional makeup looking my best, but that's not who they're going to go on a date with. If I put up loads of pictures of me in professional makeup with my winged eyeliner and fully glamped up, they're going to be pretty shocked when I turn up makeup-free. 90% of the time, I am makeup-free. I am the type of person who will go on a date makeup free and therefore I want my profile to reflect that. If you want a glam girl who wears heels and is glammed up every day, there is no issue with that but you need to know upfront that you're not going to get that with me. So I present the real me and allow other people to decide if that's a match. If you present a different version of you that exists, that's when you increase the chance of rejection on the date. The most recent date I went on actually, this happened to me. The guy had clearly used pictures from 10 years ago and looked nothing like his photo to the point where I was standing right in front of him and didn't know until he waved at me. And all I could feel on the date was deception. The ironic thing is, I found the guy in front of me still attractive, but it left me with such a negative feeling because it made me feel so deceived and it highlighted insecurity, which I now couldn't overlook. If he had just been up front on his profile, I would have probably still swiped right, but actually not feeling like something had been hidden before the date had even started. So be honest on your profile, full body pictures and no filters. Number three, show, don't tell. This is actually a writing thing that I got taught when I was writing my book. So instead of writing, she felt sad, show that she felt sad. Don't tell the author what they should feel, or don't tell the author what the characters are feeling, but show them. So I follow this same principle in dating apps. Instead of writing, I'm a fun person, show that you're a fun person by sharing a fun antidote. There is no point wasting precious profile space saying things like dog person, not cat person. That really doesn't tell me anything. Well. Some people might say it tells you something, but it really doesn't to me. Instead, let's say the prompt on the dating app is, we'll get along if, and my response is, you won't get embarrassed if I leave the house with a mug of tea. That sends more personality and character, and yes, I do leave the house with a mug of tea occasionally, and it tells you I'm the kind of person who doesn't really care about the norms in society, will probably not care what people think, and is probably quite unapologetic. Now this might be me reading into this too much but it definitely tells me a whole lot more than dog person or cat person. Instead of saying you're spontaneous, tell a story about doing something spontaneous. I used to have on my dating profile that I once booked a flight on Thursday to Norway and flew on Friday. That shows I'm spontaneous rather than telling them I'm spontaneous. Show, don't tell.
4: Hi, Michelle. I just want to say first, thank you so much for being new. And secondly, you inspired me to go to therapy, which I've been doing for the past two years, and it has been life changing. The main reason why I first went to therapy is because I had abandonment issues, but I also had commitment issues. And it is because I am codependent. So that is one thing that I am working on. So my question is, how do I stop seeking validation from others, especially men? It is something that I am working on. However, sometimes when I make decisions that I feel are right for me, it feels like I'm, someone is doing a Chinese burn <laughs> on my heart. So how do I stop seeking and how do I get comfortable with making decisions that I will know that I know are good for me in the long term even though in the short term I am panicking as hell. But yeah, just how do I stop seeking validation from others especially men and how do I become confident in those decisions so it doesn't feel like someone's giving me a chinese burn on my heart. Thank you Michelle. Bye.
3: Oh,
2: I love being thanked for being me. That's such a lovely compliment. And go you for going to therapy. I love that my page encourages you to do so. And by sharing that with me on the podcast, hopefully it actually encourages other people to reach out for help as well. For those who don't know what codependency is, a codependent person is one who lets another person's behaviour affect them, and who is obsessed with controlling that person's behaviour. That's a Melody Beattie's definition, by the way, and there are slightly different definitions floating around, but essentially it's feeling like you have to caretake another person, you changing decisions based on another person. An example of this from my own life was when I was in a codependent relationship. It wasn't a romantic one, it was a friendship, but still works the same was I wouldn't actually make plans unless the other person was busy just in case they wanted to spend time with me this was actually done so unconsciously that I only realized it on a night that I made plans and last minute that person ended up being free and asked me what when I was coming home because we lived together I started feeling guilty that I wasn't with them. If this sounds like you, I highly recommend the book Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. When it comes to external validation, this is due to the lack of self-esteem. So self-esteem comes from the inside. It's knowing you're a good person, knowing you're good enough and knowing you made the right decision. When you lack that, you look to external sources to tell you that you've made the right decision. And that's what's causing that ache in your heart. So how do we build that up? Every night I want you to write three reasons you are good enough. What this does is it teaches your mind what to focus on and if you do this for a few months, you will find your brain will start focusing on the things that tell you you are good enough, not the things that tell you you aren't good enough because 95% of our thoughts are repetitive and 80% of our thoughts have been shown to be negative. We need this constant habit to rewire what is our norm and stop our brain jumping to the default, the negative default. Another reason why we rely on external validation is because we look for approval because we don't approve of ourselves. So another thing you can do is write three ways you impress yourself that day as a way of building up your internal sense of self. Because you mentioned abandonment and commitment issues, I would also get the book Facing Love Addiction. Now, not all therapists, psychologists, or coaches are going to agree on this model. To be honest, you'll be hard-pushed to find a model that everyone agrees on anyway. But I love pmld's Melody's book, Love Addiction and it made a lot of sense to me my life coach recommended it to me and it revolutionized the way i thought about my dating life pia melody believes in love addicts and love avoidance but more specifically she focuses on the cycle of events that occurs within a relationship and i think it's most helpful and could be why you're feeling this way another thing i want you to ask yourself is what does the external validation give you I want you to get really self-aware the next time it happens and ask yourself what emotion is arising and then ask yourself what do I get out of this? What is the benefit? How is this making me feel good? How does it make me feel in general? How you stop seeking approval is by seeking out how that approval makes you feel and then providing that feeling for yourself without the need for someone else to do that for you. For example, if I'm dating a person and they compliment me on my appearance and that made me feel more secure, then I would look at that I need to make myself feel more secure about my own appearance. Use the external validation like a lighthouse shining a light on the area in your life you need more of. Use it as an opportunity because it's also normal to appreciate external validation, but not when it makes your heart hurt. An example of this is I used to be seriously insecure about my glasses. Then one day, my first boyfriend saw me in my glasses, six months into our relationship because I had hidden it for that long. And he made a passing comment of, I didn't know you wore glasses. It makes you look really sexy because I'm so codependent. And also, I don't actually think he'd called me sexy before. And I thought so highly of him and valued his opinion so much more than my own. My 20 year insecurity disappeared in an instant. To this day, seven years later, I'm still not insecure about my glasses. Now, was it good and healthy that I valued his opinion more than my own? No. Did that cause issues when his opinion was not good for me? Yes. Did that mean we were in a really unhealthy relationship? Yes. Would I have preferred if that insecurity disappeared with my own belief that I was beautiful? Of course. Valuing his opinion more than my own put me in a frankly dangerous position and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone to let anyone have that much power over you. But I'm not going to deny that a good thing came out of external validation in the same way that external validation from a best friend can change your mind. And if the only good thing that came out of that relationship was that I fixed my insecurity about my glasses, then I'm taking it. External validation is human and normal and it's healthy as long as you don't rely on it or depend on it and when it doesn't make your heart ache. Don't look back on these moments as wholly negative. It can serve a purpose at that time in your life, but also You can do it differently next time. Sending you so much love and best of luck. Every week I end the episode on something I'm working on and this week I am working on actually lighting my candles. Now bear with me, this might sound silly. But I believe how you do small things in life is how you do big things. And something I realised I was doing a few years ago is saving my most luxurious and most expensive hand creams and shower gels and basically not using my best stuff. Now let's think about the broader implications of that. I'm basically telling myself that I'm not good enough and not worth the nice things in life. So since that day I've been using all my good bath stuff and good skincare but the one thing I've noticed and mentioned to a friend in passing is candles. I love candles but every time I light one I feel like I'm wasting it. Except if a friend or a guy is over I wouldn't think it's a waste. So what message was that sending me? That I'm not worth the joy of a candle unless someone else is there to enjoy it as well? So very simply, last week I started lighting my candles in my house. In fact I have one burning next to me right now and it's a simple pleasure and such a small thing but one that I think has a broader message. Thank you all so much for the questions. This podcast couldn't happen without your voice notes. So I seriously appreciate anyone who sent a question my way and the bravery and the vulnerability it takes to open up and share something that's been hurting you in your life at the moment. So if you want more episodes, I need more voice notes. And if you would like to be part of a future episode and get your question answered, then email me a voice note asking your question at honesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk. The email address will be in the description below if you didn't catch that. And in the meantime, follow me on Instagram at ScarNotScared. You can catch me on Twitter and TikTok at the same username. Oh, also, I'm in a brand new BBC Three documentary called Being East Asian. I'm actually life coaching in it. um, And I'm in the third episode called Bodies if you wanna give that a watch. And you can also get my book, Am I Ugly? Or watch my TED Talk, Have You Hated Your Body Enough Today? I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode and and thank you so much for listening. Bye.
0: Hold up. What was that?